Good morning. My name is Kelly Tarasovich. My family and I are members here at Christ Central Church. This morning I'll be reading from Psalm 77. I cry out to God, yes, I shout. Oh, that God would listen to me. When I was in deep trouble, I searched for the Lord. All night long I prayed with hands lifted toward heaven, but my soul was not comforted. I think of God and I moan, overwhelmed with longing for his help. You don't let me sleep. I am too distressed to even pray. I think of the good old days long since ended when my nights were filled with joyful songs. I search my soul and ponder the difference now. Has the Lord rejected me forever? Will he never again be kind to me? Is his unfailing love gone forever? Have his promises permanently failed? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he slammed the door on his compassion? And I said, this is my fate. The Most High has turned his hand against me. But then, I recall all you have done, O Lord. I remember your wonderful deeds of long ago. They are constantly in my thoughts. I cannot stop thinking about your mighty works. O God, your ways are holy. Is there any God as mighty as you? You are the God of great wonders. You demonstrate your awesome power among the nations. By your strong arm, you redeemed your people, the descendants of Jacob and Joseph. When the Red Sea saw you, O God, its waters looked and trembled. The sea quaked to its very depths. The clouds poured down rain. The thunder rumbled in the sky. Your arrows of lightning flashed. Your thunder roared from the whirlwind. The lightning lit up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Your road led through the sea, your pathway through the mighty waters, a pathway no one knew was there. You led your people along that road like a flock of sheep with Moses and Aaron as their shepherds. This is the word of the Lord. Um, give me one second to get situated here. Good morning, Christ Central Church. My name is Josh Kim. I am one of the pastors here at Christ Central. We're glad that you could join us this morning as we continue our sermon series in Psalms called Summer of Psalms, where we've been looking at different psalms throughout the summer, uh, thinking about how in ways it teaches us how to worship the Lord. And the question I want you to think about as we begin this morning is, what is a picture or the image of a church or a congregation or a gathering like this that you have in your mind when you think of the word church? What pictures, what images come to your mind as you think about gathering like this, a church gathering or assembly? And there are many, of course. I'm sure you thought about it just in a few seconds I gave you. It could be images of a passionate preacher, a praise and worship time with hands lifted high, a gathering to study the scripture, that perhaps it's a picture of a fellowship meal, or serving together, whether in the city or in the mission field, whatever picture may have come to your mind, those are valid pictures of what it means to be a church, a gathering of God's people like this. And in Psalm 77, what we read this morning, gives us yet another picture of what it means to you gather like this in a congregation. 
And Psalm 77 is what we call a community lament. What I do mean by community lament is that this psalm in particular is sung or recited during a hardship or in the time of mourning that a group or assembly or a church is going through. The occasion is not fully clear according to this psalm, but we know for sure that psalm writer is leading the body to sing this song like this in gathering as they seek the Lord in the time of trouble. As they seek the Lord in time of trouble. That's the picture this psalm is picturing for us this morning. And one thing before we read, uh, we read this psalm as we delve into it, we often think about lament as a grief and sorrow, and rightly so. We, watched, uh, we studied that a couple weeks ago as well. But automatically, we only think about grief and sorrow with emotions of tears and heartaches. But what we read today in Psalm 77 is much more than that, isn't it? This psalm talks not only about silent tears or broken heart, but the psalm writer, Asaph, the choir director, leads us in the congregation in the shelter of frustration. Hopefully you caught that. There is some anger. There's disappointment, obviously, and hurt, and even doubt that's present in this psalm. Authors of Truth Table writes and refers to this type of lament in arguing protest as a form of spiritual discipline by saying, as I review God's covenant faithfulness in the story of Scripture, I also recognize a boldness that God's people have inherited directly from our heavenly uh, patronage. God is not only God of our creator and redeemer, but God is also the power behind our worth and our work. Because we are made to be stewards of God's image and witness of God's power and love, they write, each of us is beneficiary of righteous and disruptive attributes of God. We are beneficiary of righteous and disruptive attributes of God. In another word, if we are God's image bearers and creative beings, God created with us with tears, but also with emotions of anger, aches, frustration, and also a protest at times of seeking God in lament. And that's what we see reflected in this psalm. Imagine that, right? Gathering in assembly, and it's a community lament time, right? And gathered to express their tears, but also emotions of anger, aches, all that presented before the Lord. And some writer, someone at the front is leading them and telling the church and congregation to wrestle in it. And again, they're called to wrestle in this together as one body. And this isn't just because the circumstances is out there. It's something out of their control, something that's very difficult for them, even in the consequences of their own actions, this psalm is writing us to do so. Because many theologians looking at Psalm 77 actually says, perhaps the reason why there is a community lament is not because of a difficult circumstances that are out of their control, because what verse 9 says about God's anger, it is because of the consequences that were felt by Israel's unfaithfulness. Verse 9 says, Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he slammed the door on his compassion? So what some writer is writing to us is saying, even in the midst of the consequences of our own fault, our own sin, 
we see this congregation assembly together as one, lamenting to the Lord, whom they have offended with their own actions. Isn't that incredible? God invites you to come with that type of lament this morning as well. Church, I believe this is one discipline that we can definitely learn more in the church. This is one picture of a church that we could grasp better. Quite often, our churches are only about the joyful times or happiness or celebration is at the core. Just look at some of the praise songs, the programs, and expectations that we often hold on to coming to the church with. And I'm not saying there's no place for that. There is absolutely a place for that. God has to be praised. We have to celebrate as God's people gathers. But a proper lament is also needed as all of that. And I would add that what's missing is not just a lament, but what it means to lament together as God's people. And if God's people can't do this well together, then we're often left on our own. And oftentimes, we go on our own and look for laments elsewhere. Because it's not like the moments of lament goes away. I love what Dr. Aaron Graham, who wrote for the Repentance Project that one of our sisters led this past year, said about lamenting together. And this is what he writes. He says, Lament is an expression of sorrow. It is grief and recognition of death and loss. To lament together is to create space physically and emotionally for wailing and praying and anger, for disbelief and the all other emotions that come with death. So church, my challenge for all of us as we look into Psalm 77 is to learn that together. How do we lament well together as one? How do we learn to lament together as the body of Christ? And this psalm teaches us how to do that in two ways, by crying out together and also remembering together. Crying out together and remembering as together. One of the beautiful pictures of any church is when God's people gather in unison to cry out to the Lord. One of the most encouraging phone calls I received, it was recently, it was after Sunday worship from one of our women shepherds gave me a call. And as you know, um, we have red chairs in the front and the back. It's definitely different than the other chairs that you're sitting in because we want you to see it. And those red chairs are there, and we encourage you to come after service or before service to pray, to share your hearts with those that are assigned to that, to pray together. So she called and she basically said, Pastor, I wasn't sure what to do. I wasn't really sure what to pray for. And she proceeded to talk about the red chair experience that Sunday. And we don't share everything. We promise confidentiality. Only the must-knows are shared with me or the elders or women shepherds with the permission of the person that comes to the chair. Anyhow, what happened was that someone came to this chair this particular Sunday and as they shared what was in their hearts, the circumstances they're going through, it was such a heavy, heavy topic. Hard stuff about life, the challenges. And this woman shepherd shared with me that she listened. She simply listened and prayed. Not knowing what to say or not knowing how to guide, but knowing that there is not an easy answer to just give out that Sunday. Nothing easy, she said. But she was able to, at that moment, cry out to the Lord together as one body. Church, what a biblical picture that is, isn't it? 
What a beautiful picture. I don't know if that doesn't encourage you. I don't know what will. I was so encouraged after that. Because Psalm 77 is just a picture of that. Look at with me at verse 1. It says, I cry out to the Lord. Yes, I shout. Oh, that God will listen to me. I searched. I was, when I was in deep trouble, I searched for the Lord. All night long I prayed with hands lifted towards heaven, but my soul was not comforted. I think of God and I moan, overwhelmed with the longing for his help. That's the first section of the psalm. Notice the deep feeling the psalm writer is portraying for us here. He says, I cry out to the Lord. Not just cry out. I shouted at the Lord. I moaned. I searched all night long. I long for this help. And starting in verse 4, we see this closer insight into what this psalm writer internally is going through. He says, you don't let me sleep. I am too distressed even to pray. I think of the good old days, long since ended. When my nights were filled with joyful songs, I searched for my soul and pondered the difference now. Has the Lord rejected me forever? Will he never again be kind to me? Is unfailing love gone forever? Has his promises permanently failed? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he slammed the door on his compassion? It's not like a prayer as we often hear on Sunday morning, don't we? Four to nine verses detail that ends with verse nine's pivotal doubt. Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he slammed this door on his compassion? Look at how distressed this person is. Is he lamenting? Absolutely. Verse 4 shows sleeplessness and confusion. Verse 5, remembrance of how things were used to be. I was not like this, the psalm writer says. I remember how it used to be, how awesome it was, right? I'm searching and searching within my heart, but I cannot find hope. Are you there this morning? The psalm writer knows your heart. Verse 7 and 9 hits the climax. It is a clear example of one confessing his doubt and questions to God in the midst of the struggle because there's contrasting images that are noted. Verse 8, it says, unfailing love of God. God whose love does not fare, but he says, wait, is it gone forever? A contrasting image. Verse 9 says, promise of God. Scripture tells us the God who keeps his promises. But the psalm writer says, wait, did it permanently fail? A contrast. Verse 9, has God who remembers, God remembers through generations upon generations, right? But some writer says, has he forgotten? A contrast. Verse 9 again, God who is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love, but is God not gracious? Another contrast. This contrasting picture is confusion of the psalm writer who knows who God may be, but what, what he sees in front of him differs than what he knows God to be. As if, it's, as if it's to say what someone is saying, I know his love should be steadfast, but where is it? I know that he promised, but is it not for me? I know that he says he will remember me, but he passed me by. I know he's gracious and compassionate, abounding in love, but why is he so angry with me? And he's torn in his heart with doubts and confusion. And he comes to the Lord with it fully, honestly, before the Lord. You know, one of the most difficult moments I ever had as a pastor, and some of you, this may be really hard to hear, even as I talk about this, I still struggle with it, was a stillbirth of a child. As a broken mother held a child 
in the hospital room, you're called upon to minister, to care. I can't think of anything else that was more difficult than that for me. You know, all the theological answers that I studied for years go out the window. You sit in those moments, and I don't care who you are. You're broken, utterly broken. And you wonder why. Why so much pain? You hear the wailing cry of a broken mother that echoes through the corridors of empty hospital, hunched back in the sobs of a broken father, the lifeless body of a child made in the image of God. Church, what do you say? How do you pray? What about the pain, the emotions, the doubts, frustrations, questions? I remember coming home that night, and as soon as I walked through the door, I just broke down, confessing to my wife, Lynn, and I just told her I didn't know what to say. What do you say? What words can I say to comfort the brokenness? Why would God not answer to this couple's prayer all along? I myself, even as someone that's supposed to minister, wondering out loud, why, Lord? Why would God allow this to happen? Church, I think this is tension that we often live in in this world, right? Whether it is you who is going through these struggles, the valleys of the shadow of death, or you're watching someone that are going through this. And as much as we can study the Bible, or we could quote thousand verses at the whim, at the end of the day, the tension does not go away quite often. And we're often left with the psalm writer's brokenness and conflict more in our hearts. And you know, this is why this psalm comforts me this morning, church. Because this psalm writer allows us to sit in our tension this morning. All the emotions, the questions, the frustration, anger, disappointments, life, This psalm writer speaks into life. And because you and I can relate to this psalm writer's outburst, the honesty, openness, in many ways it comforts me. Because what this psalm writer shows us this morning is that we could start there. Christianity is not about doing everything right or knowing everything. I think that's where we fall into the trap. The basic foundation of what it means to follow Christ begins with the fact that you and I are utterly lost, that we are in serious need of His grace. If anyone should model brokenness in this world, Christ's followers should be the leading experts at that. So this psalm writer invites us this morning to acknowledge those pains, to see it, to recognize it, to name it, Not be surprised by the brokenness around, but ultimately come to the Lord in it, recognizing we are broken people and we're surrounded by brokenness all around us. And do you know the Bible is full of that? Right? More and more I read the scripture, I don't see book of superheroes, right? There's only one, God. But most of the time, the story is about the ones that are struggling to the point of even falling away only to be saved by God's divine intervention. Right? Abraham asked the Lord in fear, says all this stuff and acting in a certain way to jeopardize the family and the promise of God. 
right? Moses asks and complains, and his anger breaks the tablets and strikes the rock and curses. Like, woe is me, Lord. Job, a poster boy for suffering, right? Has pages upon pages. We only read Job 1 and skip to Job at the end, right? But read the middle. It's a pages upon pages about not a bold statement of faith, but wondering out loud, why is this happening to me? Why? Why? And friends speak, and they're like, don't speak, right? They're good friends until they speak. Think about David. Solomon, there's an entire book called Lamentations, right? Prophets lament, saying, woe is me. They don't listen to me. Disciples, you name it. Do you know that 60 out of 150 psalms is lament? 40% of it all. The official worship book contains this interplay of tension, of lamenting, and wondering why, Lord. And this Psalm 77 shows us the full honesty in the assembly, gathering, singing, lamenting together, sitting in confusion in front of the Lord, crying aloud together. Together, church. And perhaps, just perhaps, that's what the watching world needs to see. Not this Christ followers, people of faith, who's got every answer down, who's got the most healthiest place on earth, or who is in position of power and strength, but rather broken people, plagued by the weight of their own sin, but desperately in unison, crying out to the Lord together. Maybe, just maybe, church, our witness should begin with that brokenness covered by the grace of God. You know, looking back at that incredibly difficult moment, I don't think I did anything right, but probably the best thing I did was not say much, but cry with the hurting mother and ask why together in prayer. And the best ministry care I received that night when I came home was the same warm embrace and the same tears shed by my wife and the silence as we sat in the puddles together. Christ Central Church, I pray that we become a place where we could learn to lament together like this. A picture of Psalm 77. Wouldn't that be great? Not arguing which theological stance or standards we should follow, but starting with crying out loud together over our brokenness, putting forth our requests and doubts and questions, even our anger, frustration, heartaches before the Lord, together walking with one another, seeing another in pain, sitting in the puddles of tears, holding on to one another. After all, many, if not all, seek to be comforted first before seeking the right answer. Our God invites us to his place of comfort. Comfort, comfort, my people, as God calls out to us. And the peace that transcends all, transcends all understanding is what he promises to those who come to him. So this psalm teaches us how to lament by crying together in community. The second picture, church, this psalm gives us is by remembering. How to lament is by remembering together. We lament by remembering together. You know, in light of Supreme Court's decision on Roe v. Wade, and I know some of you are like, oh, no, Pastor, you're going there, aren't you? Right? I am, because we always address this in our pulpit. It's not the first time. I rewatched the testimony of Bonnie Grigg, one of our women shepherds who works as a nurse manager for Pregnancy Research Center. If you have not watched the testimony, it's on our YouTube page, so go and watch it. You've got to watch it, right? Especially in this season, you've got to watch it. And I was so encouraged again. I know the story. I know her. I heard it. But man, wasn't it encouraging? 
Because her testimony captures our church's heart, I think. Church, we are womb-to-tomb church, right? Yes, we believe in the sanctity of life. Yes, we are pro-life, but that also means that we are pro-life through and through. We're pro-compassion, pro-women, pro-moms, pro-family, pro-those who are marginalized. That's what it means to be truly pro-life. And some of the things she shared in this testimony and how she models for us was incredible. Her ministry includes listening, listening to the stories of women as they walk in, the families they walk in, because every single person has a story to tell, and providing and supporting with resources, seeing women as they are made in the image of God, providing safe spaces for healing against toxic social pressures all around them, and ultimately reminding every person that walks through the door that they are not alone. They are not alone. And our first lady um, at the time, Kelly Brown, reminded that to the congregation. They are not alone. So together, this ministry guides people to remember that God loves them. That God loves them. That God loves them. And they do this together. And Psalm 77, verse 10 and on, pictures for us the lament, how to properly lament by remembering together. And that reflects that heart here. Verse 10 says, And I said, This is my fate. The Most High has turned his hand against me. But then I recall all you have done, O Lord. I remember your wonderful deeds of long ago. They are constantly in my thought. I cannot stop thinking about your mighty works. O God, your ways are holy. Is there any God as mighty as you? You are God of great wonders. You demonstrate your awesome power among the nations. By your strong arm, you deem your people the descendants of Jacob and Joseph. What is the basis of turning this psalm around? The writer leads the assembly to recall, to remember who God is and what he had done in his faithfulness. And that's the second part to this, acknowledging and coming to the Lord as we gather to remind one another, to remember, to recall who God was and who God is. Notice the words, remember and recall in verse 11. Also in my thoughts, constantly thinking in verse 12. In other translations, is ponder, think, meditate, all these words about remembering what God has done. And these are the key words to this psalm. So what is the psalm writer remembering, pondering, meditating, thinking about constantly? What he does is direct the assembly to what God has done in the past, especially the Exodus story of the wilderness in the desert. And the question for us is, what has God done for Israelites in the past? We call the cries of Israelites, right? And how God brought them out through many miracles in the history. Verse 14 and on talks about all those things, great wonders God has done. It refers to Exodus' story. Exodus 19, 4 through 6, God reminds them of that by saying, you have seen what I did to Egyptians. You know how I carried you on the eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you will obey me and keep my covenant... You will be my own special treasure from among all peoples on earth, for all the earth belongs to me. And you'll be my kingdom of priests, my holy nation. This is the message you must give to the people of Israel. Some writer is giving that message to the people of Israel. Deuteronomy 4.34, Has any other God dared to take a nation for himself out of another nation by means of trial, miraculous signs, wonders, war, a strong hand, powerful arm, terrifying acts? Yet that is what the Lord, Yahweh, your God, did for you in Egypt right before your eyes. 
So you see what the author is referring to throughout the verse 10 through 20. And throughout this psalm, a psalm writer refers back to the history of Israel and reminds them how faithful God was. When he talks about the water, how the sea split, it's talking about the Red Sea when the Israelites journeyed against Egyptians, against the insurmountable odds they faced. Verse 16 to 20 says, God has control over the things that you and I cannot even have control over. When the Red Sea saw you, O God, its waters looked and trembled. The sea quaked to its very depth. The clouds poured down rain. The thunder rumbled in the sky. Your arrows of lightning flashed. Your thunder roared from the whirlwind. The lightning lit up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Your road led through the sea, the pathway through the mighty waters, a pathway no one knew was there. You led your people. You led your people along the road like a flock of sheep with Moses and Aaron as their shepherds. What some writer is saying is this is a true nature of God. He is a powerful and mighty being. And this God, above all, cares and loves his people. So Psalm writer invites Israelites, and the writer invites us to remember who God is in the midst of it. Deuteronomy 5.15 reminds us of that as well. It says, remember, church, remember that you were once slaves in Egypt, but the Lord your God brought you out with a strong hand and powerful arm. Remember that. That is why the Lord your God has commanded you to rest on the Sabbath day. Another thing to note, as you read throughout this psalm, the second part, as the psalm writer tells you to remember, it's a small detail but important one. As you read through this psalm, the eyes of the first part disappears in the second part. The focus in the I, 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 the first part, now becomes God, God, God in the second part and how God's working towards God's people. As the psalm writer comes to the Lord in his brokenness and honesty in the puddles of tears, crying out to the Lord, seeing the puddles and the struggles that they're in, as they cry out to the Lord, God changes their hearts and God begins to show them, this is who I am, this is my promise, this is, this is my love for you. And the cry and the desperation, the confession turns from I to God. And that's what it means to start to lament together. It starts with us, of course, as we look into our hearts, the brokenness. we got to acknowledge that. So many times we try to jump over that. No, we start acknowledging the brokenness around us apart from God's grace. Again, we need to listen to them, be sensitive to them. But hear these words from the scripture. But then you're invited to look to the Lord in it. And as you begin to look to the Lord, you begin recalling his faithfulness of the past. As you remember who God is, who he has been to you, as you start preaching then to yourself who God is, not only listening to the heart and the circumstances of the day, but now as you sit in the puddles, remember who God is, and now you start preaching. In season and out of season, as Paul reminds us, church, to do, preach the gospel. Preach the gospel. And this is not just a call for someone like me to prepare a sermon on Sunday to give it. Right? This is a call for the church. It is for all of us who follow Christ to preach not only to ourselves, but to one another. And the gospel of remembrance is to say, remember who God is. Remember the cross. Remember how God loves you and loves you and loves you. Remember, our God is much bigger than anything you and I will face today. Remember the power of how he was able to rescue in the past. Remember, he's the same God yesterday, today, and tomorrow. 
Remember that he sent his son to die. Remember, whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Remember the one who began a good work in you will carry it out to completion. Remember, because of him, you are more than conquerors. Do you know this, that his love will never be separated from us? Do you see this, church? Do you sing this? Do you preach this to yourself? And what's the consequence of remembering the gospel together like this? We're guided to come freely with our lament of questions and anger, the doubts. Throughout verse 10 through 20, the psalmist question of God's presence is absolutely answered, isn't it? His answer as God who remembers and mediates, God who is faithful and just, God who would never give up on his Israelites, God who frees us by sending his beloved son because we are unable he is able. And as we preach the gospel to in our hearts, you know what it does? It frees us, isn't it? Gospel redeems us, buys us back out of depths of despair, and the gospel restores our hearts again to trust in the Lord by drying out our faith that walks on water, faith that testifies to the unfailing love of God. The gospel transformation restores one's soul, and church, that is the witness of church, not that you're able to pull yourself by the bootstraps and go at it to say, I am broken, utterly broken, but the gospel empowers me today, despite my brokenness, that I could stand and testify to the goodness of the Lord because I believe that God has not done, that God is not done with me yet. So that's what we find in Psalm's conclusion. To sum it up, he did it. Won't he do it again? He did it, one he do it again. God will be faithful just as he always had been in the past. He is steadfast God, his compassions and slow to anger. What some writer knows about God is true. This is God's character, and he's true to his character as he leads Israelites to remember the past. Whether the present circumstance is due to their failures or their own or not. Whether it is because of the struggles of results of the other's sin. God will not fail to do his will. And for Israelites that remember God who has done these great things in the past has power to do it again if need be. And the history, history church, testifies to us. Crowd of the witnesses testify to us. The church will stand because God has promised, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. That is the grace. That is your testimony, church. That's what you and I hold on to this morning as we gather. So sing this psalm with me, will you? To renew our hope in the Lord. And singing this psalm today to remind one another of our hope in the Lord. Perhaps it is remembering the gospel starts within our own soul. Perhaps we need it in a gathering like this. That phone call, the reading of the word, journaling, the text, whatever it may be, in our communities, together as one, may we sing this song, remind one another of who God is this morning. One of the pictures of the church that I fondly remember that I hold on to is one of the pictures of the church that has been ingrained in me 
growing up in an immigrant church. In my faith tradition, there was such thing called an early morning prayer. An early morning prayer meant 5.30 in the morning or 6 a.m., depending on where you are. Every morning, these immigrants would gather in worship sanctuary. Not on Sunday, <laughs> Monday through Friday, I might add. Um, and just gather in the space before the dawn. And pastor would preach a very short sermon with sleepy eyes himself. Then the room gets dark, and the personal prayer time is given, and the prayers are lifted up. And you would think that it is silent. It should be silent to honor one another's space. Absolutely not. You hear someone weeping in the corner, and you wonder why. But the weeping, desperate cries are lifted up in the corner. In another corner, you'll hear shouts, shouts of frustration and anger at times, as if to see, is he mad at somebody? You're someone pacing back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, stomping even, stomping on the ground. Someone who's prostrate before the ground, face down. Some beating their hearts, crying, Lord, 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 for the entire duration, all in union, in unison, crying out to the Lord together. I would often ask my mother, why so much anger? <laughs> Why so much tears, frustration, and stomping? And as she wiped her eyes of tears, she would often say, prayer, just people praying, child. And as I began to get older, and many gray-haired saints in our congregation will share with you too, in life there's more tears than laughter, more heartaches than joyous moments, more brokenness than healing. Shadows of valleys room larger than peak mountaintops. It's true. You and I are in it. I'm in it. You are in it. We're all in it together. But what was also ingrained in my mind of this early morning prayer as the saints of God came out of this room, as they would grab one another's hand in firm handshakes, smiles as Kleenex is shared with one another, and all would say, have a great day. God loves you. You are loved. Praying for you. Let us persevere yet another day before they meet again. Again, in unison, reminding one another to remember who God is as they departed. What a picture. Pray that Christ central We'll lament together like this. Let's pray. Church of God, let's come as your people, lament together, and model proper brokenness, shall we? Father, we come into your presence utterly at times broken due to the weight of our sin, and sometimes, Lord, the sins of others in this world, and oftentimes we're weighed heavily in our hearts. Father, we come with no words that can comprehend or overcome. But we also come with confidence because in Christ we find hope. 
because the one who is faithful is always faithful, even though when we are unfaithful, you cannot help but to be faithful in your promises. So we come together as your body, sing the song this morning in our lament, in our frustration, in our anger, in our puddles of tears upon tears upon tears. We pray with confidence, knowing that, Lord, we remember who you are. And, Lord, you promised that you're not done with us yet. And, Lord, the one who left is coming back. And when you come back, you'll wipe every tear away, and you will declare victory once and for all. That's the hope. May that be our testimony. May we long for that truth. May we long for that picture of gospel of Jesus Christ. May we testify until you return. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.